You're listening to the Elite Insights Podcast from the Victorian Institute of Sport. Each fortnight, our VIS experts put the spotlight on different aspects of high-performance sport in a way that we can all relate to and learn from. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Victorian Institute of Sport Podcast Elite Insights. I'm your host, Jess Whitby, and today we're going to be talking about coaching. Um, we've done a lot of talking about all the different aspects of athletes and elite sport. Haven't actually talked about the actual act of coaching these athletes. So to do that, I'm joined by head rowing coach at VIS Bill Tate and the head men's hockey coach, Jay Stacey. Um, how's it going, guys? I'm going very well. Good. Yeah, Glad to hear. Pleased to be here. I can't wait to get stuck into this episode. So I guess we might kick off with how did you guys get involved in coaching? Jay? Well, for me, it was a, a it was probably a natural progression. Obviously, um, played in the national team for about fifteen years, um, and went to uh, four four Olympics, and then I uh, played in Europe for quite some time. Um, so, gathering all the experiences as an athlete, um, uh, then you know you naturally trans- transition into sort of coaching. Not everyone does, and being an athlete for a long period of time or at the highest level doesn't guarantee that you can be a coach, um, but certainly it's a it's a strong passion and uh, I love coaching. Yeah, great. How did you find that transition from athlete to coach? Um, it wasn't direct. I actually deliberately went away from um, the sport a little bit just to um, make sure that I wasn't just going into um, probably a traditional athlete to coach. Um, because it was easy or because you know that's what I do uh, I went away from it and just worked you know as an account manager and just took a little bit a step back from the sport just to make sure that's really a, a really a passion and it is and um, you always gravitate back to what you really love so that's how I sort of got into coaching that's nice that's really cool and Bill, what about yourself? Yeah, my international rowing career wasn't as stellar as Joe's <laughs> hockey career was, that's for sure. But I, I was a national team rower. Um, and all the while I was coaching at, at school, in school programs and I did an undergraduate degree in sports science, uh, specifically exercise physiology and biomech. I suppose I always thought that coaching was, was probably going to be my thing once I settled on that um, course um, and just uh, steadily worked my way through club coaching, uh, onto national team coaching, and then ultimately working at the VIS. Nice. Um, so what do you guys enjoy about coaching, I guess, the most? Well, I like, obviously like the interaction with the with the athletes. Um, at the beginning, it was a, you kind of still think you're an athlete at heart, um, mm-hmm. so that there's a different dynamic between the coach and the athlete. So, um, but obviously trying to provide them the environment where they can be the best that they can be, um, uh, provide them um, with my own experiences. I think that helps quite a bit because you see young athletes now going through the same stages that I experienced or I went through myself, um, whether that's for the positive or the negative, where you know, you know, I miss selections occasionally as well and, and I've been through that, so it's nice to be able to talk to them um, about that and it's not the end of the world and you can go on and also um, training hard and um, learning the required basic skills and then the creativity on top of that to become an elite hockey player. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I reckon I can really relate to that. At, at first when I was coaching, it was very much a competitive avenue. It was like, you know, being able to compete but not actually on the on the field or on the on the water. But it's it's really evolved, I think, over time for me in terms of the challenge of bringing um, a team together, bringing groups of people together, trying to coordinate things well. There's a lot more satisfaction now in all of the processes, not just the the outcomes, not just the times where you win or you, you get the result you're looking for. So it's been interesting on reflection uh, now, looking back at that journey, and, and Jay summed that up really well. It was initially, you feel like an athlete trying to help other athletes, and now you feel like a bit of it on that helicopter position trying to bring people together and, and draw better outcomes out of people, and, and you don't quite live and die by the everyday wins and losses, more by the rolling success of getting those long-term victories um, under your belt. Yeah. Do you think that's something that makes a good coach? Are you someone that can see that whole picture and yeah. see that long term? Oh, I think I think there's a there's a healthy balance. I think that if you don't have that every day, get up and go. If you don't get out of bed in the morning and feel that edge of competitiveness, I think that there's a risk that you can sort of become a little bit stale. And I've probably seen that in in our sport with some coaches over time because it's brutal. Like coaching is brutal. There's a lot of time commitment and it's exhausting and it can be very emotional at times. So ultimately, coaches that are successful, I think, do figure out exactly as Jay said how to how to stop being just an athlete who's sitting on the sidelines and, and learn how to actually coach and manage people more macro rather than constantly getting caught in the micro things all the time, almost for their own longevity as much as anything. Yeah, Jay. Um, oh, I agree with Bill. I, I think the biggest thing that I had to learn as a coach was. Um, was bringing those teams of individuals together. Obviously, I'm in a team sport. Um, here at the VIS, I coach individuals to be the best that they can be, but we rarely play as a team together as a VIS team. Of course, they play in state teams, but that depends on their individual level. They could be under 18 state level. It could be under 21s or seniors. Um, the very the very cream of the crop of the VIS athletes are at the national program based in, the, based in Perth. Um, so as a team, we, uh, we don't play together that often. So we're forever concentrating and focusing on their individual development as an individual. Um, in the back of your mind, how are they going to, whatever teams they're selected in, how are they going to um, mould into a, into a very good individual but in a team situation depending on what they're selected in? Which is interesting because you don't get that gratification of the game that you played this week, do you? You're sort of yeah. you're, you're constantly going, yeah, that's getting a bit better. That person's getting a bit better. There's this area over here now we've got to go to. Which, if you if you're really into immediate gratification, it's, it becomes really hard, and you have to switch, don't you? You do. I, I think the gratification comes from uh, from the representative teams they're selected in down the track a little yeah. bit. Um, that may be the in. in Hockey terms, it's the futures program or the national junior squad or the or the senior squad. It could be state teams as well, uh, just de- just depending on what level they are. From a day to day or week to week or you know month to month basis, these guys need to um, need to improve uh, small a lot of small things, which incremental things, which add up to the overall athlete. Um, that's a challenge for me, but I really thrive on that challenge as a coach to try and, one, identify them, um, two, make the necessary adjustments for them to improve in those smaller areas, and at the end of the day, we get an overall better athlete. Yeah, I think um, 
something you've both just touched on then is that you have very different roles in terms of how you operate with the athletes. With Jay, you might not see – you don't manage a whole team. You manage individual players who might go play for different teams. Whereas Bill, you often have set rowers rowing like the Joshes, for mm. example, and you get that gratification of seeing them compete. Yeah, but I suppose that's changed a little bit for me uh, recently. We I might have a few little projects here and there, like, um, as you say, we had the, the um, Dunkley, Smith & Booth – project over winter to um to keep them ready for going back into the team next year but ultimately my my job now more than ever is about um trying to help coaches within our um, environment here in melbourne particularly but in victoria as a whole deal with their athletes better and better so it is more my job is more of a true head coach coach role than it was two or three years ago where i was coaching a national squad based out of melbourne um, and it was it was yeah taking those athletes through to ultimate um, ultimate competition, um, and it's a very enjoyable um, shift. I, I have to say, you know, you, you end up having to work differently, and it is a different level of gratification than the, the really immediate wins that you get when you compete straight away. But um, it's helped me focus more on the long term development of athletes yeah. and coaches as well. Yeah, nice. So. Um I guess your role with athletes then is quite different. You're less interacting with the athletes, more interacting with the coaches. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I still think I get a lot of athlete interaction because they train so frequently through mm-hmm. a week. You know, if, if they used to, you know, they train typically say 14 to 15 sessions a week. I used to do 15 sessions with this cohort of athletes. Now I might do, uh, for each athlete, might only see me for five sessions a week. Um, in, in different sessions and I'm working across that with a whole lot of different coaches um, so it is it's a different sort of um, dynamic you know I'm not the report coach anymore for very many only a, only a handful now um, so that's been a shift for sure but it's actually been one that I've really uh, relished ultimately yeah. yeah yeah what about you Jay what's your relationship with the athletes I guess especially when they're going off and they're going and being based, changing and moving to Perth to be based over there. Or? Um, well, my role here is to is to produce national national standard athletes. So um, if I've done a good job, then they are going to Perth. Um, whilst I would like to have them their standard and their um, their professional standards and their play um, to help you know drag the other ones along, the younger ones coming through. Uh, on a daily basis, um, I said I have a sense of achievement when they do get selected from national championships to go on scholarship in, in Perth at the high performance unit in Perth. So um, that would be that's when I get gratification yeah. when they go when they go across to there. So once they go into the national program, um, I don't have a whole lot to do with there. Um, they sort of go to a to a new coaching yeah. new coaching team in the national program, um, but. Yeah, that's that's yeah. my role. If I can get them to Perth, then I've done my job. Yeah. And I think there's there's an interesting sorry, just there's that's an interesting okay. part of that as well is that I think the role because our role is quite similar to the hockey role now, mm-hmm. um, but it's evolving. And what has become really evident to me is when they go into the national program, when they go into national training centres, there's a different approach at that point. It's the ultimate selection sort of situation. And so our job becomes a little bit about preparing them to thrive in that environment. So there's stuff that, that you just can't do when you're in a national program at an individual level that, that now is our responsibility. 
um, to set them up. And if, if, if we do a good job, as Jay says, they'll ultimately need to go into that national program um, and that's a measure of success, but it's also a measure of how well they thrive in that environment. Because some people will get up into that sort of situation and they just won't succeed. They won't know how to manage themselves. They'll be really susceptible to the immediate pressure and not have that long-term ability to be able to roll through the ups and the downs. And there's a lot of little learning things that you just can't get taught in a national team. So that's changed and that's that's pretty cool as well, like figuring out, you know, can we get a performance edge for those athletes long-term by setting them up to thrive in that situation? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think um, it kind of relates a little bit to what we're going to talk about in a little while with you guys mm. working with the different um, departments, I guess the VIS, to set up the athletes. And I, I think what Bill's talking about when they do move to a, to a high-performance centre or a national training centre um, uh, it's important that you do upskill them before they go and, as Bill says, thrive thrive in that environment. The, uh, each individual is different. Um, yeah. Moving from, from Melbourne to Perth on the East Coast, it's a bit isolated. Um, normally the only friends that they have when they arrive are hockey people and some people, uh, some athletes don't thrive when it's just hockey, hockey, hockey. They do need outlets away from the sport. So it has its challenges moving to a uh, to moving to the hockey high performance centre in Perth, but that's another aspect of the coaching in here at the VIS mm-hmm. to prepare them for that. Um, once they arrive and once they hit the ground, yeah, which I think we've done a fairly good job uh, yeah. over a period of time. Excellent, um, and I guess a little earlier we were talking about how. As coaches, you really have to, especially in your roles, you more have that long-term kind of view. You're not getting so much so the instant day-to-day gratification. How do you work with other departments at VIS to get those results and optimise those performance? I know in previous episodes we talked with Stacia, who's the head women's hockey coach, and Jamie about how they work together as performance analysis and coach and that relationship, I guess, talking about setting up athletes to succeed over in Perth, one of the VIS values is succeeding in life. And I guess mm-hmm. that's got to do something with personal excellence and mm-hmm. all those different departments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the personal excellence one, since you mentioned that, is, is worth you know highlighting in our situation. Our, our women in rowing now move to Penrith for training in the National Training Centre. They're now... Um, they're, they're doing their very best there to set it up for education and vocation opportunities. But the reality that, that far out in Western Sydney is it's tricky. And, you know, we've sort of worked hard with our PE uh, people here. Uh, Hannah McDougall's doing ours at the moment. You know, the, one of the biggest priorities is getting as much education out of the way and under control in their first uh, four years after school as underage athletes so that when they're really primed physically and ready to go to the National Training Centre, there's not as much pressure to be hunting down uh, full-time education uh, in that environment where it is naturally just a, that little bit harder. And so that's a good example of how, you know, it seems it's a very non-seemingly sport performance practical outcome. But if they don't have that under control in their lives, they're not going to succeed on the on the rowing um, water they're probably not going to succeed in the hockey pitch I wouldn't imagine if they're if they're not stable enough people talk about balance in life it's not like uh, 50-50 balance it just needs to be enough of everything in place so that you can be sustainable if there's nothing in education nothing in vocation nothing in family friends then eventually that tripod's going to tip or, uh, topple over one way so it's it's about trying to set that up 
based on what we know, uh, the environment is, is like where they're heading to. Yeah. And as a coach, are you watching out for that, I guess, when you get athletes coming through? Well, we are now. I mean, historically here, and I think we're lucky at the VIS in that we have everything in-house and our service provision from our uh, sports science, uh, physical prep and sports med is, is excellent, I think, really good. And it's in one building. So it's very easy for us all to communicate and work together. And it's always been really obvious to us that we need to set up a training routine that enables the athletes to do enough of the other stuff, whether it is attend to their families. You know, like Jay, we have some older athletes that, you know, in hockey there are um, people who end up playing for a long time into their late 20s, early 30s, and that's the same for rowing. So those people are going to have mortgages, they're going to have kids, they're going to have careers they need to be setting themselves up for. Now, that can't take over from their sport, but we need to facilitate them to do enough of that. Um, so that is a big challenge. Yeah. I think that's an important part of the coach's role as well, is their, their, their program or their training program to allow for those sort of things. Now, I know the high performance um, program in Perth, they train mostly early mornings to allow the athletes to go to study or to work or to balance their life out. Um, similarly here at the VIS, we try to align ourselves with the national um, program so that when they do hit it's not foreign territory to them when they hit the ground in, in Perth, but here we want to be able them to live their normal life and go to uni and, you know, you're also allowed, just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you don't have a social life either and these guys are sort of growing up and sort of learning um, to balance their life out as, uh, as an athlete as in, and just in general life um, coming through. So... Um, yeah, uh, the program is, is very important for that. They also have, uh, in, in hockey, we, they all play for various clubs in the Melbourne Premier League. So they have commitments and responsibilities um, uh, to those clubs. So I try to work, um, as in with the club coaches, allowing our athletes to train every Thursday night with their club in preparation for their match on the weekend. And I think that... Um, the relationships and the friendships that the play, the athletes have in their home clubs is really important for their for their development and the um, uh, the meaning of those club games on the weekend and the value that they have because if they're able to um, involve themselves or immerse themselves in those clubs and play well on the weekends then that's another development opportunity for them um, probably more than a training session would be actually playing a game and had some value and importance for their club. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think personal excellence is a really important aspect and especially at VIS, like it's quite emphasised, like that's what it's about. Um, I guess another aspect of that balance is also like the mental health of our athletes. So like, for example, we have sports psychology here. Do you guys work often with like sports psychology or the even physios, um, the allied health? section of the IS, I guess. Yeah, we do a lot with um, like physical therapy. I think that the physio program, Andrew Fuchs is our you know main physio here. He's also our sort of medical um, driver. So he helps do, um, do a lot of the athlete medical management with, the, with our doctors here. Um, and, you know, that, that's a really important part of our sport. You know, our sport is very physical, very physiological. We're constantly right on the edge of, you know, to, to maximise the amount of um, gain they're getting from the training. We're on the edge of doing too much all the time. So we, you know, have a 
almost full-time physiologist who monitors load um, in the athletes. And I have a lot of trust in him to, that, and that's Rod Siegel, in him to actually tell me when uh, we're going too far to, to be able to push back, but also to make sure we're doing enough. Um, there's no point in them being, you know, completely uh, fresh all the time, but nowhere near good enough. So, you know, I often say, I think it's the role of the coach in terms of monitoring that is like playing chicken with cars, like you're constantly playing chicken with overload, like you're just staring it down and you hope you jump just in time. We don't always get it right, but we, we do a lot more now to monitor that all the time. And the allied health stuff is a very important part of that. You know, physio, uh, medical management is, is a, almost a daily reality for us. We're always in touch with, with those um, sides of things. Yeah. Andrew Fuchs is our, uh, he's been our physio from, I think, rather than styling from us, actually. That's true, yeah. <laughs> you set him up. Yeah. So, um, but he's been involved in our sport for, for a long period of time and uh, he's our go-to um, physiotherapist, but certainly uh, any other advice to sports doctors and, and things like that. Um, we have great um, um, practitioners in here at the VIS, but... We're training so often and so, um, and at various times and things that um, we need an external sort of provider because we train at six in the morning. If we get someone who rolls her ankle at six thirty in the morning, then we want to get you know immediate attention to that. So we have Fuxi. He um, uh, also I, I touched on the club matches um, on Monday Monday nights during the AHL preparation. Um, we have a mini screening so that Fuxi is there prior to training, prior to the week's training, um, to make sure that a few bumps and bruises out of club games or anything a little bit more uh, sinister that we can detect early and, and provide the necessary action and treatment for them to be able to continue on that week. It might mean a light session, it might mean they need to go and see a sports doc or have a scan or whatever it may be. But we need to get onto those things because uh, we want to minimise the downtime from training to be able to um, to get them to their you know, to their right levels. Okay. We also have a um, in hockey because of the varying age groups and teams and things. We also have um, just touching on Bill said about the loading. We have a multi multi peak year, so there might be some athletes who are in the under eighteen um, state team and the under twenty ones, um, so they need to peak for those. Um, it's very difficult just to keep training right through the whole year and stay at the very top. There needs to be peaks and troughs in their preparation so that they are peaking at the right times um, to perform at the, at the selection events, which are the under-18 nationals, the under-21 nationals, and of course AHL, um, which is coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So um, those athletes need to, need to peak for those. So yeah. their downtimes are going to be slightly different. So the management around that with your... You know, Matt Bassey is our, is our new strength and conditioning um, coach. He's only just come on board in, in um, past weeks. But previous to that was uh, James Caragiorgio, who done an outstanding job for, you know, about seven, eight years uh, with our program. And, and we really targeted the, the condition and, and the, the physical aspect of our, of our athletes. Um, that's his job. And I empowered him to in his expertise to make sure that we had the athletes aligned to the national programs and, and on the coach. Uh, so um, the technical and the strategic aspects that I bring to the training. So a, a combination of that, we're able to produce lots of uh, international standard athletes. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, going back to what you were talking about with the screening at the training on Monday nights, um, I know recently, like, for example, that's one way you manage injuries, obviously, and checking on your players. We've talked previously about the athlete management system. Is that something you guys use a lot? We, we use it, um, or we, we're trying to use it. It, it. it probably isn't set up quite yet to be able to do everything we need it to do. So we, we do what that do, we've done what that does mm-hmm. through other mechanisms for a long time. And that's a very big part of our daily management. So we manage our athletes using training peaks and also a heart rate variability uh, program that, that they use every morning to, to measure load and report in wellness and that sort of thing. And we have, you know, pretty extensive um, databases on our training performances that sit in Excel and that sort of thing. So we're trying to figure out and work with the AMS at the moment to figure out how we can transition into that sort of thing. We need it to work at least as well as these other programs that we we use all the time and our athletes are completely on board with and that sort of thing before we can... um, uh, yeah. pull the plug on that and switch over and we hope that happens because it is challenging balancing a lot of systems but the the reality is that's a massive part of our work schedule yeah. within the rowing program and the rowing program is myself plus two co- external coaches who are, are seconded into the the group um, and uh, the physiologist and strength and conditioning uh, person who John Tascone who works in the program plus we have a PhD student so it's, there's a lot of staff involvement in that decision-making process so to keep everyone across it and and get everyone's clear input we need really clear systems with that we hope the AMS will actually eventually do that for us but at the moment it's not quite doing what we want it to do yeah Jay do you use AMS yeah we do um and it's um it's a requirement particularly most of our athletes are nationally identified in, in whatever group that they're in there's uh, the squads of 27 in all, all the groups. So there's a, um, a national squad of 27 athletes, there's 27 in a, a development squad, 27 in a junior squad, and 27 in a future squad, as in around the country. And all of the athletes that we have on full-time scholarship here fall in one of those categories. Um, and it's a, re- it's a, re- a requirement that they uh, um, um, use AMS Compliance is a small issue, mm-hmm. um, although um, majority of the time it's it's quite good. But the few times, or that they don't do it, or this or that, then um, then the data is not exactly accurate mm-hmm. at this point in time, and, and cl- compliance is the key. Um, so um, you know, we uh, we remind the athletes of that, and that's one of their responsibilities, and they need to do it. Um, Sometimes it can be a bit time-consuming doing it every day and things like that, particularly in this environment when they're not in a in a national environment. Um, if they're in a selected in a team, then it's a little bit different. Um, there's a team going away to the Sultan of Johor Cup in a few weeks' time, and the youngsters um, they're part of a team, so um, all the other guys are filling it out. So the actual team is filling it out in this under-21 Australian team. But when they're just training in their in their daily training environment back here, um, I see them every day, um, talking to them. Um, it's still good to refer back to, um, but I think I'm not sure that it's. Yeah, I think the the tra- you know, Yeah, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. Yeah. yeah, I think the the, the, the challenge with it is that it's not important until it is important, mm. 
But if you haven't done, if you don't have the background information, if you haven't collected all the information when it's not important, when it's just mm-hmm. there's no current injury or current thing that you're worried about managing, you can't actually manage it when it when it is critical. And you know, I had a really good example leading into London uh, Olympics, like the the women's pair that I coached there. One of the girls ended up with a really significant wrist injury, forearm injury, which required her to have surgery 28 days before racing started. Now, we'd done a lot of that collecting of that wellness information and load management stuff over a couple of years with those athletes so we had a good 20 days of really compromised rowing training but we were able to modify uh, and adapt the program to do other modalities to keep the loading up and I think in the end we actually felt like they got fitter from doing some of the other bits and pieces and technically they already probably had their rowing stuff down pat um, and, and that was literally, we were in Europe, that was me almost every day on the phone back to our strength and conditioning guy back here, Harry Brennan and Kath Prashino, who was our physiologist, trying to work out how to manage that load through that time. Now, for two and a half years of doing that, it wasn't important, it never was an issue, but when it was really important, it was, it was the thing that enabled us to change um, and, and take a situation that could have been a disaster and turn it into a really good opportunity. And that's probably the challenge, isn't it, Jay? You sort of collect stuff for seemingly no reason, and that's where it's hard to get buy-in from athletes at times. Yeah, for, for us it's, it's really important as well because sometimes the athletes, as I said, they go to their club training on a Thursday night and they play their club match, um, but that's not in my control. Yeah. There's a club coach who looks after that. Um, so their Thursday night is, you know, is it a medium session or is it a hard session or is it, you know, so, um, and they want to do everything for their club, though. It's been sometimes difficult when you're in a club team to go, oh, no, I'm, uh, I'm meant to be doing 45 minutes rather than an hour and a half tonight or, or something like that because the guys at the club know that the uh, BIS guys train other days of the week, but they don't know exactly what they do. So it's like, oh, come on, you know, you can finish the training session, you know, that yeah. type of peer or team type sort of pressure to do everything that everyone's doing. Um, so we don't have um, the resources for everybody to have a GPS unit, but we, we, uh, we have six of them for our squad and we strategically place them on athletes at clubs where we have multiple athletes because the drills, all players are involved in certain drills, small games, drills and things. So you can get a bit of, it's not exact science, but it certainly gives us a good guide of what everyone at that club team is doing because there might be three or four guys in that club and four or five guys in another club and I can get an overall, a bit of an overall picture of what they're doing um, and then do you, in those environments. Would you then use that to adjust, if, if they've done too much, you can then use it to adjust the other stuff that you do separate to that group? Is that how you sort of manage it? Yeah, we can. Or, yeah. yeah. Or, or to go back to the club session. coaches and say, well, yeah, not, maybe. Not really, because a lot of them go, oh yeah, you know, sort of, yeah, thanks for letting us know, but we'll yeah. do it. We'll do it this way, and and that's their their right as the as the club coach. Mm. It's more sort of to see. Sometimes the club matches um, are on a Sunday, mm. and we have a, a standard training session on the Monday. So the guys who have played, and it'll depend who. If the top team plays the bottom team, well, the guy, the guys on the Monday can train normally because the intensity of that match mm. probably wasn't you know, it's not going to affect them. If it was a top of the table clash or a final or something like that, then yeah. certainly a, um, some modification of that Monday session needs to be considered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a pretty clever. I didn't really think... You'd, I didn't think that would be a thing that would happen, that you'd go monitor clubs like that, but it's really interesting. 
Um, That's the first time I've been called clever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess talking about these club level coaches, like obviously here at BIS, you guys have like access to physios and SNC and nutritionists and all that sort of stuff. And at club level, you don't really have that. Like most clubs, like financially, it's pretty difficult working, coaching, I guess, a grassroots organization. What kind of resources are there out there for grassroots coaches wanting to improve and develop and get better at what they do well there's a, you'd be surprised um i currently coach in the in the mm-hmm. club environment um in the women's competition in the in the women's premier league in melbourne um and we have those we we have those resources okay. in, you know you have a team manager you have a physio you have all of that sort of stuff to look yeah. after the athletes and they train um uh, at a recreational, as in a Tuesday, Thursday night, and then play yeah. a match on the weekend, the, top, the sort of standard top end of recreational sort of sport. Um, but they do have some resources in there. For me, coaching, but other coaches, um, there's lots of different things. Everyone videos, everyone can, um, what you can find on the net these days is quite yeah. incredible about analysis and things like that. Um, some of it may be a little bit old school and not sort of. Um, very expensive um, software, but you get the same outcomes at the end of the day. And um, whether all coaches do that at the sort of the uh, the top end of the uh, like Premier League, I'm not sure. But I've got I see a lot of coaches around the place filming and, and yeah. things yeah. like that, and and doing the the research um, about their the opposition coming up, or um, they're filming their own team to to make some adjustments and to improve and develop their athletes into a better team. Yeah. And I think like locally, um, certainly in rowing, but I think in general, our role at the VIS is to offer some Victorian leadership on on what's important, how people can go about doing that. And, um, you know, we've, we do try and do some education things um, and try and provide systems and ideas out through the club system. like. You know, without doing a, a overt plug here, you know, Rod and I, Rod Siegel and I do our own podcast series um, called The Bro Show, which is designed essentially, the where that came about was we were doing things like heat training, hip training, um, and all these sort of concepts, and we were explaining it a hundred times to a hundred different people, and we thought, well, why don't we just put some resources out there about, well, this is how it can work in Melbourne, here's how you can figure out yeah. how to do it. So I think that these days there's so as as Jay said there's so much online. If you want to figure out how to even fix something in your car, you can probably like YouTube it. And yeah, get a, yeah. Get oh, definitely. A video of definitely. It. Yeah. With with Hockey Victoria, that we've had some um, uh, some sort of open coaching type sessions, and there'll be a, a specific topic. It might be uh, structures and strategies, or uh, uh, analyzing the opposition and and some techniques and what you do and um, I've uh, presented a couple of those and other coaches sort of um, the high performance director at Hockey Victoria Lachlan Anderson who's a a well-credentialed coach in his own right he uh, presents some of those Um, uh, Hockey Australia on their on their website there's plenty of uh, coaching uh, coaching tools and ideas on on their website same as Hockey Victoria and all around the place there's uh, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of uh, stuff you can access. 
I think part of the challenge is not how much there is. It's almost to help people figure out what do they actually need. It's yeah. almost like that helping people narrow their focus onto the things that will actually make a difference in one sense. Um, that, that's a big part because there is. it's almost like there is... If you're willing to buy it or you're willing to go looking for it, there's almost everything you can you can get. Yeah. You know, you can pretty much look up the the training program of Team Sky if you really want to find it out. There's a lot of information around on that sort of stuff. Um, but how much of that is actually important to you know Moorabbin Cycling Club who ride yeah. twice a week? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, a bit of it is actually trying to help people figure out what's what's yeah. actually going to make a performance. I think that's yeah. I think that's really important. Uh, uh, through Hockey Victoria, I think all of the men's and women's Premier League coaches were invited to attend these uh, these seminars or presentations, mm-hmm. and the reserve sort of level coaches, um, and obviously the topics. And not every coach come, but the ones who come obviously wanted to um, learn about a certain aspect, and it may have been structures and strategies, or how to analyse the opposition, or what's your when you're watching opposition, what are you looking at? You know, yeah. for me, what do you, you know, what do you look at um, if you're playing Western Australia in two days' times? What are you actually trying to? Yeah. And that they're the types of questions they ask you because, you know, to go and watch a watch a hockey match, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So to try and prepare a game plan against that opposition, what what are the key key components of of what to do and how to stop them or how to expose some of the flaws in their games. So yeah. that's the type of thing. So I think maybe sort of a dozen coaches turned up to each of those sessions, um, but a different dozen to every topic. Yeah, and I guess the benefits of that is those coaches then take that information back to their clubs, it gets shared in the clubs and passed along the, through the chain, I guess, and that's how you keep that knowledge going. And yeah, and, you know, and, and I encourage that sort of thing. It's, it's, yeah, it happens pretty regularly that, you know, you, I know a lot of people in hockey, but they'll stop here and have a bit of a chat about this or that, or some old teammates of mine are coaching juniors, and you know they're in the in the finals, and then there's a young coach, um, uh, Tom Ball, and who coaches um, Melbourne High School or whatever, and he just sort of contacted me out of the blue, and he's a really enthusiastic young coach, and he's got his. Um, uh, yeah, he's positive and he's got all his uh, everything lined up and he just wants to get better as a coach. So for people who have that self-drive and, and want to get better, you're, you're more than happy to help them out, you know. Can't, can't spend hours and hours on it, but certainly if there's a, a specific area they want to pay some attention or perhaps get my, and mine's only an opinion as well, um, then I'm happy to provide it. If yeah. They want it. yeah, definitely. I think that's really important too, like... That you guys are available, and like you said, Bill. Like your role now is like helping other coaches mm. as well, which yeah. is so valuable. But the thing about, I think Jay's point is exactly right. Like often, I think people sit back and they wait for help to come to them, and yeah. it's, it is always about seeking it out for yourself. And you know, I, I just know I sort of laugh at myself, like people who stand back and might say, "Oh, you know, we never hear from him," versus how many people actually make a big effort, and they get so much from me and from. The resources of here because they come and engage and that's the big thing I encourage people to do is you know, your development is your responsibility it's not anyone else's responsibility yeah, yeah definitely I think that's really important um, that's really been interesting I've learned a lot about coaching today um, thanks guys for coming on the program um, if there's anything anyone out there wants to hear us uh, talk about you can let us know on our Facebook Twitter Instagram wherever 
send us a message, tell us what you want to hear us talk about, and we'll see if we can make it work. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud, where Victorian Institute of Sport everywhere. Um, you've been listening to the Elite Insights podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.